Emily, Emily Bolting, thank you so much for talking to me today. You're welcome. We've known each other a very long time, haven't we? Maybe 20 years? Something like that, I reckon, yes. Yes. Um, and you run a very, very lovely small art centre in Walton-on-Thames called the River House. Um, but tell us, um, tell us what it is that you do at River House, what River House is, uh, the you know, about the location and how you got to where you are today. So I am um, artistic director of the River House Barn Arts Centre, which is a community arts centre, as you know, because you yourself used to do the same job, which is sort of how I got involved with River House in, in the first place. But um, it, is, um, it is very much a community art centre in that it completely relies on volunteers um, to make the whole venture viable. And that has been brought into a real sharp focus in the last few months because, um, you know, obviously we haven't had money to pay people and things like that. So, you know, um, it has really been a question of the community getting together and making sure that the Arts Centre continues to run. Um, and it has therefore very much reflected what the community wants to put on in the Arts Centre. So um, the Arts Centre has actually been in existence for really quite a long time. And from the very beginning, it's been a reflection of what the community that's been running it has, has wanted. So it was a derelict barn initially, and um, some people within the local community wanted to create um, a chamber music venue and so they got the money from or rather they got the venue from the county from the council and they took apart the whole uh, the whole building and um, and the the tiles off the roof and scrubbed them themselves and laid the floors themselves and created what they wanted raised money for a Steinway baby grand and um, and they created a, a, the music venue that they wanted and then later on somebody else wanted um, somewhere to show beautiful paintings and so again they raised money to create the gallery which is now a beautiful purpose-built gallery within the art centre and so it grew that and then they wanted to do an education wing so money was raised again to create a little um, a little studio for that so each time that the art centre has has been reborn through a moment of you know somebody needing something to happen and in, then, in this case, and you know, bring that into where we are now, um, what, what the last thing I wanted to happen when we were forced to close back in March was that the whole thing stops. Um, because I know um, how much people rely on it, the volunteers to have a purpose to come and, and, and be part of something, and, all, and the people that obviously come to the classes and come to the events and perform or show their work there. The whole, the whole network is so crucial to people's mental health and, and to their, their, their work prospects that, you know, they, um, it's really vital that these things just carry on in some form or other. So the first thing we did was to put everything that we could on in some form or other. So classes went on to Zoom. So children's classes continued and reading groups continued and, um, and, people either signed up or they didn't but a huge amount of people actually did continue and creative textiles groups and things all transferred to zoom and then as it became sort of obvious that we we're in this for the long haul we were trying to think of ways that we would be able to continue with programming 
And so we applied to the Arts Council to get a streaming grant and we were given enough money to set up a three camera streaming studio. So um, that was all kind of done really quite quickly and a, a little bit of research and then, oh, so we'll put, put a grant in application for this amount of money. And, and then of course that wasn't exactly what we needed when the money came in and mm -hmm. we started looking at the intricacies of it and it's actually, we thought we needed those sorts of cameras, but we need these sorts of cameras. Yeah. But, um, but it gave us the ability then to keep on engaging with artists and offer them a platform, even if they couldn't have an audience there yeah. in the building. So, so, Emily, just to interrupt, just yeah. to give people an idea of the size of the venue. Yes. The, the main auditorium, the barn itself, seats, I know you can get 115 in if you tightly pack them for comedy night, but really in terms of theatre, you're very limited, aren't you? What's the seating capacity? Yeah, that's right. If we do a traditional end-on theatre experience, then um, then it's about 60, 63. Um, for children's theatre, slightly more because we had a carpet that, that went in front and so children could gather together in the, on the carpet. So that was about 90. And likewise, the, the learning studio you speak about, that's actually very small, isn't it? In terms of how many, normally, how many people you could get in there. Yes, how yeah, many? Usually, it's usually about eight um, at, a, at a real squeeze, you could get 12 in, um, depending on what you're doing. And you also um, have a cafe. Yeah, the, the, the cafe, which in recent years has been reborn. Um, the cafe was always a, a, a complicated addition, but um, it, it was the shop window, if you like, the, the way that people would, would first come across Riverhouse would might be through the cafe, through walking past and through coming in just to have a cup of coffee. Um, but that was never a, a sustainable business for us. And I know you found that because you were one of the first people to try to make it into a business as such. And it, it just was constantly a problem and people coming in and failing to make enough money or us not making enough money to pay people's wages and always a problem. And so in the last crisis, um, we decided to make it a community cafe and to focus on the sustainability angle. Um, and so we now run a menu of, um, which is based on surplus food. So we get donations of food from um, from M&S and from other places like a local farm, um, some other suppliers. Um, and, and we create our menus out of that. So it's it's quite reactive to what what we get given so we now have some kind of stable donations of things like flour and eggs and stuff so that we can create cakes but we might get you know two crates of bananas and so then all our volunteers go off and make banana cake which oh then goes God, in the not freezer. banana bread <laughs> loads and loads of banana bread so um just talk us through then um, that that the first kind of when when it when it all kicked off and you realised that you, you guys were going to have to close. Kind of, what, what was the feeling? How, how did you cope with that? That was such a hard build up to that. The last two weeks before, before everything was closed, before lockdown actually finally happened, was the most complicated time of my working career in all my different roles that I've had because of the feeling of responsibility to our public, to um, our artists, to our volunteers. Um, many of our volunteers are elderly, 
um, you know, really some of them really quite elderly. Um, and they were very, you know, kind of, we want to carry on and we want to, you know, because nobody wants to be told to stay at home. But I felt as, as the director that I should be safeguarding, you know, I had to put my safeguarding hat on it. And, and so for the whole of that last phase, sort of from half term to, to when we actually closed down, every day I was on that edge of thinking, is the responsible thing to close just to say it's not safe let's just close but then you've also got to think of your other roles you know keeping people keeping people's mental health you know people still want to come out people still wanted to we had a lunchtime concert just before um just before lockdown the week before everything was locked down and um and again that's usually a very elderly crowd that come to the lunchtime concerts classical music in the in in the daytime with a, a meal um and they all turned up they all turned up it was nearly sold out you know everybody just wanted to carry on and at the same time you're thinking but we shouldn't be we should be stopping so I, it was a relief to be perfectly honest it was a relief when we was when it was finally said you know that's it yes. you must close because um, from there you know where you are and what, so then what happened to you and your staff and your volunteers then kind of thing? At that point, um, we carried on a very small takeaway service from the cafe, um, partly so that, uh, the, so that all the people who, it all gone like that, so that we could then communicate with people, people popped in and, um, you know, they were able to have a coffee at the other other side of the cafe. And we would say, you know, this is what we're doing. What we what we immediately tried to do was was look after our local community. So we immediately started doing um, uh, food donations. So making sort of takeaway, takeaway boxes full of food to take to people who were isolating or people that were had suddenly got their their income cut off um and what we found there was there was a lot of different community groups all trying to do the same thing at the same time then and everyone's kind of stumbling over each other so as that became clearer and more centrally organized we kind of we stepped back from doing that um and then the other thing that we did was just set up a network of looking after our local community and our volunteers so that we were we were keeping in contact and doing a zoom call every single day for anyone that wanted to come and have a, a virtual cup of coffee and that kind of thing so aside from putting all of our events that we could online we also sort of tried to keep a community going like that i think that's really interesting em and i, th I think you're right from my experience because i was still at the amstice um, at the beginning and very much kind of um, part of that there was as you say a kind of a, a kind of a, a fight to who could help the community more you know <laughs> it was sort of it was lovely and very heartwarming but yes there was a danger of kind of people making bad decisions and getting a bit too gung-ho and I think yes I think it was very wise and, and I learned a lot from how your model and what you did at Riverhouse in terms of just stepping back and really breathing and seeing actually what you know thinking small and just caring mm. first of all for that very very tight community which i think is fabulous yeah. which is what we ended up doing in the end um financially then because what we haven't established <clears throat> is that although river house is owned by the council it's effectively you're renting it at a peppercorn rate and it and you have they don't give you regular money or they do but it's That's not right guaranteed 
So River House is, although it's owned by Elmbridge Borough Council, um, they only give us a very small grant every year. And every year we're, you know, kind of wondering whether that's going to be repeated or not. Um, we also have um, funding from a group called the RC Sheriff Trust. Um, and they, they give us a certain amount of money as well. But that money, those two grants, which are our kind of core, core funding, if you like, um, they, don't, they don't even cover the basic costs of running the venue. So everything else has to be generated by box office, cafe or, um, or sales or outreach or other projects that we do. Um, um, presumably then, yes, you were doing what you could and keeping alive for the community, etc. But there must have been a huge concern, therefore, about how long you could survive that. Yes, definitely. We did because, as you know, we don't. We never had any reserves. Riverhouse has never had a big stack of cash somewhere in a grant, you know, ready for for that rainy day. Got a small amount for a rainy day, but it, it really wasn't ever it could never have sustained anything. I mean, luckily we did take advantage of the furlough of the, of the government's grants. We did, we did furlough the staff that we could furlough, which effectively was two people because we were yeah. only a staff of <laughs> two. Oh, and the cafe staff. So I did, I furloughed all the staff that could be furloughed. And then, and then I basically had to work for, for no money because somebody had to keep everything going, but with no income coming in, it, that had to be a voluntary role. Right. Wow. So that's, that's extraordinary, Em. So you, you put your hand up and said, I am prepared to now for X amount of time work for no money as a volunteer. That, I couldn't really see any other way around it because if you were furloughed, you couldn't work. Yeah. Which is, which is the problem that a lot of art centres have had because if you can't work, you can't, be you can't do anything you can't come up with the new ideas you can't get these things going so um really there was there there was no sensible other way of going about it so you know and i'm in a very lucky position that um you know my husband earns enough that i can that i can do that you know it's not indefinite and as many people have said it's not sustainable and it's not a good business model and I wouldn't advocate it on any <laughs> circumstances to anybody but it just felt like it, it felt like that was the only option really um, and then and then you know other other people volunteered so we had a, a, a luckily we had a good volunteer team that could keep things going and reinvent the future and now we're now we're at another sort of point at which we have to make decisions about how we how we weather the next six months or whatever it's going to be. Our basic model has been that we can have a socially distanced audience in the barn. So that has been, as you said, we used to have a capacity of 115. That's now 20. Um, yeah, so we have had 30, but now that we're tier two i've taken it down to 20 just to give people extra room we have the doors open we have the ventilation on um nobody's allowed to talk to anybody else um they have to sit there with their masks on um where we have a bar it's table service only so we have an app for people to to purchase their their um their drinks from their tables and wow come and wow how have the house has come on <laughs> <laughs> And and many of our elderly 
audience members who you would really not have thought were to be able to cope with this technology have, you know, if it means that that's how they're going to get a glass of red wine, that's what they're going to do, you know, <laughs> blitz spirit and everything. Love it. But, uh, <laughs> At the beginning, obviously, everybody was trying to diversify. Everything started going online. Theatres desperate for content. And so they started, um, as you say, live streaming or, or, or putting some kind of interviews, whatever they could find to put online. Have you been able to, um, to measure that engagement and how has it fared? Yes, it's really interesting, actually. Um, I'd say that for everything that we've done, um, our reach has been greater with this model. I think where it's worked, it's been either because the artists themselves maybe has a particular audience that they're inviting in, yeah, um, and they work quite hard at it as well, or that it's something that, that the Riverhouse family feel they want to support. Yeah. So, and they're kind of different. Mm. Um, so the idea of community is very different now. So our community um, is, is, is lots of different communities in a way that it always was to a certain extent. So our, our modern jazz community was very different to our traditional jazz community, but now those are spinning off slightly. So if you can engage and develop those audiences, I, I think, um, and, and make people feel like they're part of a club and part of something, part of the performance somehow, then I, th I think you can still create that feeling of, of performance. And the fact if there is a theatre and lights and production and, and yes. you, you feel like you're there and you've got someone you know, on YouTube or whatever talking to you, um, you know, saying hello, welcome, the performance is about to start and all that kind of stuff. I think, I think if you can develop that, it's possible, but not everything's going to work like that. And sometimes, and people go like this with it. And some yeah. some events are much better than others. Children's events haven't worked at all um, so far. Um, you said that you got Arts Council funding at the beginning to be able to do these live streamings. Um, how how are you going to be financially now? Was that the the only bit of funding you got? Yes we have ourselves running out of money around March time, potentially. Why haven't you applied for the, um, the culture recovery fund? We didn't apply for that because almost, almost out of a feeling that we'd had one lot of money and other people should benefit from it. Um, and we had enough money at that stage to see us through until the end of the year. Mm. And, and we were kind of working on the, principle that hopefully things would be a bit more up and running as we got into the new year you know January February. Um, Do you think there will be more opportunities for funding before March? I think so I, I, I think they will I think they will and then I think if we are you know teetering on the edge um, I would definitely apply at that stage. I think that if we are right on the edge of being able to carry on i think i i think we will be all right do you know what i mean i i think there will be ways that that um we may have to reduce things we may have to rely on different volunteers um but i th i think there are local organizations still that will that will help us out or local individuals can you ever see the river house going dark 
I can see us having to go dark for a few months if there is no end to this. You know, if, if, if come March, there is no vaccine, there is no, we're still in this exact position where we can only have 20 to 30 people in. Um, I, I think we would have to go dark. I, I, I also think that, frankly, all of us would not be able to cope for that much longer. Emotionally, it's really exhausting, actually, you know, and, uh, and um, it's quite difficult to pinpoint why, but I think that the, the, the most exhausting thing about it is never being in a routine. And you're constantly looking on the government websites to work out what the latest rulings are for all the different things you're doing. So the gallery, the cafe, um, children's classes, different set of rules to adult classes, different set of rules to, you know, official classes. Um, Lambda would be different to, you know, to monkey theatre. Everything is very slightly different to everything else. And everything has to be cleaned in between everything as well. So, you know, just physically cleaning everything is tiring as well. So I just don't know how long a small team of people can carry on doing that day in, day out. If Riverhouse did go dark, what would the impact be on your community? I think it would be quite huge, actually, because the amount of people who um, the amount of people who rely on it for so many different reasons immediately for the for the community around us they need color in their lives you know we we, we all need expression and color and variety and a meeting place and i think this pandemic has really illustrated that the the need we have for community and for sharing positive stories for sharing stories full stop um, and where you can't do that that's where we that's where we get into difficulties emotional difficulties um, structural difficulties difficulties where people don't understand each other anymore for community cohesion you need places like this that, that are melting pots for ideas and, and and sharing of stories I think that's what it's mainly about it's about shared experience sharing of stories do you think it will ever be the same again? Oh yes, I do. I I don't really subscribe to the general doom and gloom at all. I do, I I think there. I I feel very upset for people whose um whose livelihoods have have gone, um, who are artists who absolutely deserve to be to be doing what they do and being paid for it, but it's it's life it's it's where we're at um I, everywhere from the dawning of mankind um we have art we have expressed ourselves artistically from the first drawings on the walls of the caves to you know banging sticks together we we are a creative being and um and and no amount of um you know lack of government funding is going to stop that it's just we have to find different ways of doing that we have to, um, and, and, and artists have to accept this, you know, they, they, there's no point in, in crying about it, frankly. We just have to get on with it and, and fund ourselves in different ways, like, like people have had to forever. You know, if, if it means that we have to go and 
drive you know tesco trucks around then that's what we do it doesn't stop us also being creative um and that's that's then our shared experience and that's what we're telling a story about and that's where the next set of ideas will come but in, in some ways, it will give a whole new impetus to some artistic expression because this is an extraordinary period that we're all living through and it would all come out in some artistic form in one way or another. So I, I, think, I, think, the art, I think art will be very healthy. I think expression will be very healthy. I think it, it's, um, it's just a question of it not being financially viable, which is a different question. It, it will all it will all come out in the wash somehow I, I i don't think and i think people just have to keep the faith i think and then it's very hard to do very very hard to do i i i'm not being unsympathetic at all because mm. we all, we're all going like this all the time mm. but um but i do think that ultimately for some people it's even given a, a, a window of opportunity to so some of the people who were buried in jobs that they weren't enjoying actually found that they are now that furloughing has given them the time and the space to to creatively think about you know expressing themselves emily what what's what makes you the saddest about the last few months the saddest thing about the last few months to me has been um the human instinct to 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 be together to share to touch to hug to 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 be together that is it really is has been so hard to do because our, our our instincts are in times of trouble we come together we have a cup of tea or we you know we go to the pub or we sing a song or you know particularly singing um that you can't do that so so the way that we that we as a human race come together to find strength to get through things has been the very thing that we're not allowed to do and so that's been the saddest thing for me to to lose that and that is the thing that I've tried hardest to keep going at Riverhouse in some form or other that ability still to to come together in some form or other and 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 share and talk and cry and laugh and do those things that we need to do to, to get through. It strikes me that you've, um, you've done an awful lot for your community and you've been thinking about other people the entire time throughout this. How have you kept yourself motivated throughout? So, so the motivation hasn't been a problem. The, um, the ability to shut off and to get a good night's sleep and to say, you can't, I can't do everything. Once lockdown happened, I was fine because I knew what I was dealing with. I was trying to get things going and I was trying to get money in and I was trying to get the streaming going and this, that and the other. But um, this, this I'm finding the hardest time because um, I'm quite tired to be perfectly honest, been going nonstop for quite a long time. And the people that have been with me doing that are also tired um, and we kind of need to identify some new people that are going to pick up the baton a bit. Do you, do you see yourself getting to a point whereby you may need to step away from the project? I think it would do everybody a bit of good 
to have a bit of a change around. Um, and I think, yeah, for my for my own um, exhaustion levels, I might need to just do something else for a little bit um, and have a bit of a rest from it. But that just might be, it might just be this week that I feel like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I get it. I get it. You might feel different next week. But I, I do think running a venue, particularly a community venue, such as Riverhouse, and it was the same at the Anstice, you do breathe it you know you you it's it's always there the responsibility is enormous and people yeah. rely on you as you say hugely yeah um, what would you like your legacy to be and this doesn't necessarily need to be a professional legacy <laughs> it's funny actually i was i was we were talking about this very thing this morning i need to feel like i've made a difference i need to feel before i could even think about relaxing I need to feel like I have not wasted my time on this planet. In, in terms of Riverhouse, I want to be able to say that I've um, provided a, a warm place that people can be together, that people find unintimidating, that is, that is um, encouraging to new performers, that is never discouraging to any, any artist. That, that accepts people for who they are and tries to connect them with other with other people that celebrates that celebrates stories I know it always comes back to stories with me but I think I, I do believe that art is about storytelling and and a community art center is about sharing stories so so in terms of Riverhouse that I suppose would be the legacy of some I helped people share stories. I suppose. And I think that is a, 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 a lovely legacy. And I think you really have done that. Um, and I am totally in agreement with you. For me, it's absolutely all about stories. So on that note, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been really insightful. And I think a really nice comparison with some of the other stories we've been hearing. So thank you for your time, Emily. Oh, you're very welcome. It's been lovely to see you.